welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Well, good morning, everyone. It's so nice to be here with you and to feel the hustle and bustle of the auditorium. I love it. Uh, my name is Catherine, and I'm on the leadership team here at Awaken. And for our call to worship this morning, I have a rather simple piece of text. Uh, it's from a book called Every Moment Holy, which is a book of modernly written liturgies. And so um, as we turn our hearts to um, the divine, I would just encourage you to receive these words. O oh Lord, let such melodies penetrate my heart's defenses, gently revealing old wounds unto their eventual healings, gently stirring eternal longings unto the restoration of hope. Tune my heart, my mind, my life to voice your melodies, O oh God. All right, friends. If you want to make your way back to your seats, that'd be great. It's awesome. Uh, it's good to see you all. Um, nice to feel this uh, little buzz in the room, yeah? Uh, my name is Micah, if we have not met. I'm one of the pastors here at Awaken. Glad you're here. Uh, a couple of quick announcements before we jump into the teaching today. First, if you're new, we're so glad you're here. Uh, if you wouldn't mind letting us know that you're here, that would be really great. Uh, that'd be a gift to us. So there's cards in the seat pockets or the pews in front of you, or you can go online and fill that out. Somebody from our team will reach out, uh, invite you to a beverage of your choice to get to know you a little bit. So uh, those cards, as well as tithes and offerings, if you've brought those, they can go in the black boxes at the exits on your way out. Um, each of those are gifts that we are grateful for, so thank you. A um, couple things that are coming. Uh, Ash Wednesday is right around the corner, friends. It's uh, March the 2nd this year, so we, uh, that's the beginning of Lent. We will have a, an Ash Wednesday gathering that we want to invite you to. So that will be an evening of reflection as we kind of prepare for the journey towards, uh, well, Good Friday, death and resurrection. And uh, uh, marks a moment in our year, which is really important. So I want to invite you to that. Uh, it is a bit more somber and reflective, so you can be the judge of how well your kiddos will do their welcome here. But, um, you know, you, you, you'll be in charge of them that night. Uh, there won't be kids community. So, um, but invite you to that. Uh, and then also during Lent, uh, we do this every year. It's a silent retreat uh, at a place called Pachamon Terrace, which is a Catholic hermitage up in St. Francis area. And um, there are a limited number of cabins, but it's, uh, it is what, it, what, it, what, what, it, what you might think it would be. It's a silent retreat. Um, and so if you've never done that before, uh, this is uh, part of the spiritual life, learning how to be still and to be quiet uh, long enough to hear your own soul. Uh, and Pacham is a place where that happens. In fact, um, tomorrow our staff is going up. We do this every year uh, as, a, as a staff, just as a practice, to get away and be quiet together, uh, to listen. And so uh, if you're interested in that, Jane Berg um, is a, sort of in charge of the spiritual formation opportunities at Awaken. So you can, if you have questions, you can reach out to her, Jane at AwakenWest7th.com. Uh, and that is a really sweet um, Actually, a few folks, I remember uh, a few folks had never gone and were very nervous about going and went and were just uh, really, really blown away at uh, 
what a sweet time it was. So um, if you're nervous at all, don't be, don't be afraid. It's a, it's a, it's a good thing. So uh, last but not least, we, we asked for prayers last week uh, about a meeting that was happening on Wednesday night. And we'll just say that it was what we expected it to be. Uh, there, um, well, what should we say? <laughs> there was um, not a lot of interest uh, in, you know, the reasons behind what we're doing. More just like to the fact, um, you know, your pastor's suspended. He's still pastoring. And you support that. Are there any, is there anything about that that is not true? No, well, I mean, there's nothing about that that isn't true, but we'd like to share a little bit more about why um, uh, and whether that fell on deaf ears or not remains to be seen. So we're waiting to hear what happens next. That's the, that's the latest. Not a lot of good news uh, around that stuff. It's like, well, we had a meeting and not much happened, so uh, we're still waiting. Um, so we'll let you know if anything does change. And then last but not least, I'm very excited about this one, friends. Um, if you like to go out, uh, you know, for food and drinks and whatnot, there is a little uh, a place that's open now. It's called the Emerald Lounge. It's next to Clada uh, on West 7th down here. It's, um, it's really, really sweet. And on Sunday nights, the staff is fantastic. Um, I, you may see some people you know, but uh, just want to encourage you to check that out. Support the local neighborhood businesses, okay? Okay. Let's get to this, friends. Um, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 14. Today is the seventh Sunday in Epiphany. Uh, Epiphany is where we celebrate the light of God that's come into the world. It's the season where we start to think spring might be coming. Like today, we're kind of like, is that the smell of spring in the air? And then the rest of this week is just going to be a backhanded, no, that is not the smell of spring in the air. But we do this every year, right? Uh, we, we get excited about it. But you can't have... Um, well, you can't have spring without winter. You can't have Easter without Lent. Um, and so we just kind of keep walking the path, right? Uh, in terms of the spiritual calendar, it's Advent and Christmas tide, and then Epiphany, where we are, leading to Ash Wednesday and Lent and Holy Week and Resurrection, right? This is the sort of flow of the Bible, by the way. It's the anticipation of life, life itself, death, and then life, new life, resurrection, um, and so that's where we are in the story. Today is sort of the, uh, the penultimate Sunday in our series, uh, The Life and Teachings of Jesus. So we've been gathering around this well, which we believe is the life and teachings of Jesus, and asking what are the most important ones? What are the ones that sort of rise, rise up, uh, maybe a, a little bit above the rest? And so we've looked at things like love God and love your neighbor, right? Jesus says you can sum up all of the teachings of Scripture with this, uh, these two commands. We've looked at uh, the nonviolent resistance of Jesus and active peacemaking, the invitation to active peacemaking. Jenna spoke a couple weeks ago about new wine for, or new wineskins for new wine when God's doing a new thing and sort of disrupts our daily lives. Um, we talked about the kingdom of God last week, a, a very, very big uh, topic in Jesus' teachings. And this week, I want to take a, a deeper look at um, what we would call the margins and people who exist in the margins. Uh, why Jesus seems to be found in proximity to people in the margins, time and time again. And wh why is that important for us as a church? And, and, and ironically, uh, you know, I've been doing this long enough to, I'm not surprised by it anymore, but it's, it's fascinating the way the Spirit sort of weaves things together. And I find that where we are as a church actually fits right into where the teaching is taking us today. So, um, warning, this is a pretty deep one uh, in terms of like the the intellectual uh, pool, right? We're going to be on the deep end, so if you need your life vest, grab it. Uh, and I'll also say, uh, this one today in particular, 
um, I, I am very much implicated. And uh, if you're anything like me, you may find yourself in this space. And I'll just be honest to say that I'm, I'm in the middle of kind of working out what are the implications of this teaching in my own life. So this one's very real and very raw. They say usually you should live in something for a while before you teach it. And uh, we just, I don't have that luxury today. So we're going to go for it. And you might be thinking to yourself, yeah, Mike, that is a very interesting thing you might, you're saying. Maybe you should listen. I am trying to, and I'm trying to learn uh, what it means to live into this and live out of this. So um, stick with me, all right? Sound good? All right, Luke chapter 14. I'll ask my good friend, Miss Donnelly, uh, to read the text. So if you would please stand. Actually, no, 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 I'm sorry. I, we're going to do it different this morning. Uh, actually, it's a, li- a bit longer of a passage, and I, I, I would love for you to uh, try to imagine yourself in this story, all right? So I, I'm gonna, it's not going to be on the screen. I'd love for you to close your eyes and just hear the words of the text this morning and see if you can't see yourself in the stories that you're hearing, all right? So, When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, Uh, I have just bought a field, and uh, I I must go see it. Uh, Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Uh, Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. 
Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Pray with me if you would. God, as we turn our attention to this story, these teachings, Holy Spirit, we invite your presence in our midst to speak, to move, to guide, to shape our very lives and who we're becoming. We pray these things in the strong name of Christ and by the power of the Spirit. And the church said together, amen. Thanks, Joy. Uh, so Luke chapter 14, this is a fascinating interaction that Jesus has with the Pharisee, with a Pharisee and a group of Pharisees, right? Uh, this certain guy has had a dinner party and he's invited all of his friends, all of his pals. So the religious leaders are gathered and they think it's a good idea to bring Jesus. So remember who the religious leaders are. Remember who the Pharisees are. These are the elite. Uh, these are the educated. These are the respected, the revered, the honored. Though Israel at this time is occupied by Rome in Jewish life, these folks are a, a pretty big deal. They're pretty important people. And Jesus, three different times in three different ways, subtly and not so subtly, challenges their position, challenges who they are in some case. Uh, and Jesus chooses to center a different group of people. Jesus chooses to, to, to bring to the middle to highlight uh, a different group of voices, a different group of people on the social ladder, as it were. Um, so it's important, we'll start, and I'll say this. Jesus centers the people and the voices and the positions of those who are in the margins in this dinner setting. Uh, so I want to talk about the marginalized, and uh, we'll start by what does that mean, right? Maybe you've heard this word before, the marginalized. Just by the dictionary, it means this. Uh, someone, a person or group or concept that's treated as insignificant or peripheral. Uh, it can mean to relegate to an unimportant or powerless position within a society or group. And oftentimes, when we're talking about people who are on the edges, who are in the margins, that often comes with a form of oppression. Uh, because, well, they're on the edges, they're on the margins, they're relegated as unimportant or powerless, and so to be oppressed is to be burdened by an abuse of power or authority, right? So the people who occupy the margins in a society or culture, they're treated as insignificant, as ancillary, they're kind of the throwaways, the nobodies, the forgotten, the B team, the JV, the, the people who didn't make the cut, not by their own choice often, but they're relegated to a status of unimportant. Um, any Ted Lasso fans out there? Yes, super excited for the next season whenever it comes out. Uh, but, you know, if you're into English football, you know, at the end of the year, if you're, I, how many teams is it? Two, three, something like that? Get relegated or they leave the Premier League because they didn't play well enough and they get relegated to a lesser league and then two other or three other teams come up and take their place. Um, this building, actually, if you know anything about Catholic churches, uh, there used to be an altar right over here where this, a statue was, and there was an altar over here where a statue was, and there was a statue there, and a statue there. I guess they call those statuaries. Uh, but the last time that there was a Catholic mass in this building, it's called a mass of relegation. So what happened was, essentially, the priest, you know, who presided and the altar was up there, relegated this space where it was once holy and sacred with all of the accoutrement that would make it as such, relegated it to um, profane or 
um, secular or mundane, right? It's no longer what it was, it's relegated to something less than what it was. Um, and in every culture, every society, every people group, if you go back and you look at history, there are always people who find themselves in these spaces, at the edges, in the margins. And it's no different in Jesus' day. So the question, that, one of the questions I want to I sort of lean into is, who are these people, right? Who occupies the center in Jesus' time, and who occupies the edges? So this is an all-play question uh, based on what you know of Jesus' time in the ancient world. Who were the people in power? Can we name some of them? Shout them out so I can hear. What? Somebody over here said something. Okay, thank you. The Romans, yes. Romans, who else? Pharisees, the religious elite. Men, absolutely. Who else? Tax collectors, yep. People with resource or money. Anybody else? Sadducees, yeah, the religious elite. People who owned land. Um, so landowners, the aristocracy. These are all people who had power in the ancient world. So when you think about who has authority, who has influence, who has the power, these are folks who occupy that space. Now, of course, there are concentric circles in societies and cultures, right? And all the way out here on the edges, are, or the margins, are the other folks. So who are these people? Name some of them. Orphans, absolutely. Children, women, lepers, widows, the unclean, religiously or ceremonially. Anybody else you can think of? That was a lot. Servants, absolutely. Slaves, yeah. The people who used to have land but don't anymore, who are now sort of relegated to being day laborers on their own land. So these are all people who are on the margins of Jesus' society, and these are the people who sort of own the currency or have the currency, the power, and the authority. Now, if you're going to understand the heartbeat of Jesus and who he was and what he was about, if we're going to gather around this well that is the life and teachings of Jesus, you have to understand that Jesus was consistently, like the majority of his time, if you were to read the Gospels from start to finish, proximate to, defended the cause of, uh, was in solidarity with the people in the margins. More often than not, when you find Jesus in the Gospels, he's with these people or he's critiquing and offering a word of uh, challenge to these people. That's just a, a, a surface level reading. Right? Let's, here's a few examples. Think of the parable. He starts with a warning of the people at the center, those who have power and who have been exalted. What does he say? In the kingdom, they will be humbled. And those who are humbled and on the edges will be exalted. Right? Uh, he tells the dinner party and the host of the dinner party, if you invite a big bunch of people over and you invite all the prominent and all the people with the, the, the money and the power, like you get what you get, that's it. But if you invite the poor, the lame, the crippled, there is a blessing that man cannot give that you will attain, that you will receive, a divine blessing, right? Of Jesus' miracles, there are 37 of them in the, in the Gospels. 26 of them are these folks. They, they receive the, the healing, the power, the miracle, and um, only 
two of the other 11 uh, are about anything other than nature, right? Jesus walks on the water. He catches all the fish. So two-thirds of Jesus' miracles are the people in the margins, right? Uh, when the disciples uh, are with Jesus and a bunch of uh, people bring children to Jesus and the disciples rebuke the people who bring the children, what does Jesus do? He takes the kids in his arms and he blesses them and he says, unless you understand the kingdom through the eyes of a child, you can't see it. They have something you don't. Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the sheep and the goats, if you remember that one. What precedes that is Jesus saying, if you've done it unto the least of these, who are those? The incarcerated, the hungry, the poor, the lame. If you've done it unto them, you've done it unto me. He's in solidarity with this fo these folks. The woman at the well, right? A Samaritan, a Gentile, a sort of half-breed, a disdained half-breed, and a woman who has four husbands, or maybe it was five, who's at the, t the well in the middle of the day when it's hot because she's where? On the margins. Jesus doesn't just hang out with her. He doesn't just talk to her. She becomes the herald of the good news to the town, right? This person is in the story is the hero. They're the one lifted up. We could keep going. Example after example after example. I don't think you have to work hard to make this case. Jesus spent the majority of his time with people who were in the margins. These are the folks he was in solidarity with. These are the folks he spent time with. And when he wasn't with them and was with people in power, it was often a critique or a challenge, an invitation to think or live differently. Now, I want to spend some time digging into this for the rest of our time together. And I want to work this out in a couple of different ways or uh, a few implications of this reality. If it's true that, that this is who Jesus spent the majority of his time with, what are some of the implications of that? First, I think there's a hermeneutical and a theological implication. So if you don't know what the word hermeneutical is, that's fine. Most people don't. Only Bible nerds and... Uh, folks close to seminary life do uh, often, but hermeneutics is just basically the study and methodological principles of interpretation. So you could be, you know, you could do hermeneutics on, uh, on the Quran or on any number of pieces of, on Shakespeare, right? It's just how do you interpret something, right? In a spiritual community, in a tradition like the one we're in, the Bible, this book, is a really, really big deal. Yeah? Especially, you know, we're in church, so that fits. Um, this is a Protestant community, and, and in particular, from the evangelical tradition. And so this book is a very big deal, like maybe, more, maybe the most important uh, deal in the spiritual life of our community. So major decisions about the life of the church are based on interpretations of this book, right? Um, Major decisions about who participates, who has a voice, or who doesn't have a voice, what role you play, are based on, are rooted in, interpretations of this book. How do we read it? And ultimately, what happens is, the interpretation of a passage or an idea comes from, or is influenced by, or is held, usually by those who are in power. Those who are in the center. So how do we read the Bible when we come to a passage and we want to interpret it? Often, the answer to that question is connected to what these people say. Yeah? 
And if you think about it, if you can read any passage of the Bible, right? Let's just say, for example, I don't know, Romans chapter 1 and 2. Tough one to interpret, right? It's a, it's a tricky one. Lots of people disagree. If you can read it and interpret it several different ways, then which interpretation is correct? Usually, those who occupy these spaces have a very loud voice in this conversation. And the danger here is that these folks have the power to shape and legitimate religious discourse on how to interpret this book. And ultimately, they have incredible power to shape the lives of those who wish to participate in a community. So, if you were to go up into my office, right up there, you would find a whole bunch of books. And if you were to go into a, um, a bookstore, uh, there would be a section called theology. And a whole lot of the books that you would find on my shelves up there would be in the general section called theology. And then there would be smaller categories of books called feminist theology or Hispanic theology, or black theology, or liberation theology. There's a general category, which all the books exist under, all the other books. Those are just theology. But then there's all these other sort of subcategories of theology, right? Do you see what just happened? What are all these other books? Well, they're white male theology, right? If we're being honest. But we don't see that because we're not, we're not looking for it. Jesus spent his time here with these folks. And often, when you talk about spiritual and religious communities, the interpretations that are offered as normative are held by folks who have the, most vo the loudest voice or the most power. Um, I'm going I'm to read this quote. Uh, there's a book called Reading the Bible from the Margins, which I found very helpful as I studied this. And I want to read this quote because this guy, Miguel de la Torre, just kind of really succinctly says what, I, what I'm trying to say here. So here's what he says. He says, Reading the Bible from the margins implies that at times the Bible is read to the center. Often, in fact, the text is read from the social location of those who occupy the center of society, those with power and privilege. Hence... The Bible is read from the center toward the margins in order to teach those who are less fortunate what they must do to occupy privileged space. Yet Jesus' audience was primarily the outcasts of society. That is why, this is why it's important to understand the message of Jesus from the perspective of the disenfranchised. The marginalized of Jesus' time occupied a privileged position of being the first to hear and respond to the gospel. Some folks talk about this as the hermeneutical privilege of the oppressed. What does that mean? It means those who occupy the margins of society, who have been relegated and often oppressed, they hear the words of Jesus differently than those who hold positions of power and are centered. They offer a perspective and an understanding of God, of grace, of forgiveness, that those who are, that, that we, that I, desperately need. 
and they can, their perspective, can often liberate me, those in the center, from the blindness that I have and inability to see. Think of Nicodemus and the story of Nicodemus here, right? This is, this is, Nicodemus is like the absolute poster child. And he's the one who's blind. He's the one who can't see. He comes to Jesus in the middle of the night and he's like, what is all this? I don't understand. And who is it that can understand? Who does hear the invitation? Who does hear the message of Jesus? It's often these folks. They see it for what it is. And the folks in the center, for whatever reason, are blinded. This is not uncommon, friends. So when we think about the fact that Jesus spent his time and energy out here on the margins, living with, in solidarity with, people in the margins, it actually, it implies and it has implications on when we read the Bible, we desperately need multiple voices. We desperately need to listen to, hold space for, preserve, work to carve out, room for these people to speak and to hear their voices. In fact, part of our challenge right now in the covenant is that in our history and in our theology as pietists, we have worked really, really hard to preserve space for the readings of scripture that are not the majority readings of scripture. Interpretations of texts that are difficult that are not the majority. Why? Because when we jettison them, when we get rid of them, all we have is sort of this echo chamber of power. And if you know anything about power, absolute power corrupts absolutely. It always does. So if that's the only voice that we listen to and that we have, do you see how problematic this is? It becomes very hegemonic where sometimes our interpretations of scripture only work to preserve the power. They only work to preserve the structures. So this these people who read scripture, who experience God differently from, from a different perspective than I do, oh, it is so important that we get this. And if we, if we, if we uh, relegate them to the small little sections of the theology, you know, categories, like, oh, well, if you want a, a little bit of feminist theology, well, that's over here, and they read it like this. But it's not really the, you know, it's, it, that's really, really dangerous. And I think that's one of the, the critiques, that's one of the in, invitations Jesus is offering us. By his life, right? By the way he lived it and who he was with. Secondly, the parable Jesus tells in Luke 14 asks the question, who can hear the message? Who can hear the invitation? Who can hear the song that is playing, which is called the kingdom of God? In the parable Jesus is telling, it's not the people in power. It's not the people who are centered. It's the poor. It's the lame. It's the blind. It's the crippled. They're the ones who can hear. And gang, I'm, I gotta get some water here. I'm fired up. Do you, I'm taking my notes with me. If these four, these four windows right here, have you ever looked at them? The, the parable invites us to ask the question, do you believe Jesus when he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, which means justice, by the way. Blessed are those who are merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. Do we believe Jesus is telling us the truth? That these people, on the margins, on the edges, are actually better off in some way. That they're really, truly blessed. 
do we take Jesus at his word when he says that? The parable asks, who can hear the message? And Jesus, time and time again, says, it's these folks. What you don't need if you live your life majority of the time here, you don't need liberation, or at least you don't think you do. You don't need grace, at least you don't think you do. You don't need mercy. You don't, you, you, you're not dependent on something that's completely out of your control. At least you don't think you are. And so there is a, there is a blinder that you inherently have when you live your life in this space for the majority of the time. This is why Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who hunger and thirst for justice and righteousness. Because they can hear the message that I've come to give. So do we believe Jesus is telling the truth there? And as I said, I started this morning. This one, I'm working this out, right? Like, real time. Because it's really easy to live here if you've been given it, if it's been handed to you. Even if you would say you've worked hard for it, okay? There's not no effort Gosh, it's like I get lulled to sleep in believing the lie that I'm not dependent, that I don't need grace, that I'm actually quite sufficient on my own. So let's close with 2022. Let's do the same map. Who is here in our world? 2022 America, Minnesota. Okay, white, male, what else? Able-bodied, absolutely. Rich, educated, Cisgendered. Say it again. Athletic. Yeah, we'll put that in able. Okay, so this is where, in our culture, this is where power, influence, lies. And there are concentric circles of proximity to power and influence. Who's in the margins? Who's out on the edges? Immigrants. What else? Okay, disabilities, or differently abled, what else? Minority, I'll put queer out there. Children, absolutely, it's, yeah. Sure, uh, we'll just put age, right? At a certain point, you, you cease to be helpful, productive. Um, as we close this morning, friends, I want to ask some questions. As it relates as a church, as a body, as it relates to power and margins, where do we 
These are, these are rhetorical questions, my sixth grade teacher would say. You don't have to answer them out loud. I want you to think about it. As a community, as a church, as it relates to power and margin, where does Awaken live? That's a question. It's not an indictment. But it's important for us to be able to answer it honestly. Would we benefit at all from being in proximity, in relationship with those who find themselves relegated to the edges of our society and culture? Would we benefit? Do we believe Jesus when he says? Is there any way in which, again, these are questions that I think it was, it's really helpful for us to consider. Are there any ways in which our interpretations of the Bible preserve or protect the structures that hold power? To be clear, to be very clear, if you find yourself living in this space for the majority of the time, <laughs> right? this is not an indictment. I want, uh, it's not an indictment. It is an invitation. If you have resource, if you have wealth, if you have privilege, it's not an indictment. It's an invitation to follow the path of Jesus who did not consider equality with God, power, something to be grasped, but rather laid it down to walk in solidarity with, to lift up, to lay down his life for the sake of love and neighbor, right? It's an invitation. It's an invitation to use, leverage, whatever power or influence you have to center other voices. To say, there, there's, there's a, 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 a uh, inequity, a disequilibrium that exists, so can we, can we use the power, resource, privilege that we have to say, there are, should be more voices at this table. It's an invitation. It is also a warning. A challenge. A, a, a piece of wisdom that I think we should listen to. That to live in this space for the majority of our lives is a really dangerous place to live. Because we don't see things that are really important to see. Or people that are really important, that Jesus seemed to see a lot. So as we close, I feel, I felt very much, uh, as I studied and read and listened this week, that this one is real close to home for us as a church. And it's something that I want to I lean into as a church. I want to do the, I want to do this work as a cisgendered white male, um, because I'm blind to things, a lot of things, and like Nicodemus, I want to see, and I want us to see, and so remember Nicodemus's prayer, right? Lord, let me see, open my eyes. So as we close this morning. Um, let me invite us to a time of, of silence, a time of uh, listening. I'll lead us into that with a few questions and then some space for you to think. And then we'll make our way towards the table. 
So uh, if you would find a space that you can hear, listen, not be distracted just for a moment. And I'll ask, in what ways do you occupy margin, spaces of margin in your life? There are people in the room all over this map that we have on our whiteboard. So in what ways do you occupy spaces of margin in your life? Conversely, in what ways are you centered or do you have power? Can you name them? Jesus spent most of his time with those relegated to the margins, whose voices had been quieted, whose lives had been discounted. He was proximate to, he defended, and was in solidarity with these people. So what is your relationship with those in the margins of 2022, in our day? And how will you allow the life and teachings of Jesus to shape that reality going forward? Holy Spirit, come, speak words of truth, lead us to what is good, what is light, what is you. we close this morning a couple of ways to respond uh, one if you didn't know there's a prayer space over here it's always available you can write on the walls in there if you want to write a prayer or if you feel you need to get something out into the world onto a surface um, Mel's going to lead us in song uh, you're welcome to stand to sit to kneel however whatever posture you want to take uh, and then there is communion available this morning so on my right and my left there is eucharist good gift the reminder that um, we don't have we're not complete um, we have need and jesus is offering that offering a, a place to meet you there so there's bread gluten-free bread there's white grape juice and red wine I invite you to make your way forward grab a little sanitizer Take a piece of the bread and dip it in the cup. And as you do, know that the body of Christ has been broken for you. The blood of Christ has been shed for you. So, however you feel compelled to respond, we want to invite you to do that this morning. Would you stand for a benediction this morning? Does anybody remember uh, Salty's singing songbook? Yeah. There's this one song uh, in that, I don't remember which tape, which tape it was on, but uh, it was about climbing a mountain, uh, and the song was called One Step at a Time, 
And I think in some ways, I feel like living authentically uh, in Jesus' teaching on this one feels like a mountain to climb in some ways. Um, and so I would just encourage you with this. Like, the way you climb a mountain, according to Salty, is one, it's one step at a time. And so I just want to encourage you to, to identify, like, the next right thing. Like, the next step for you, whatever that is. And commit to doing that. And trust that when you get to that place, that the next step will be given, right? Um, as we listen and um, submit our lives to the leading of the Holy Spirit, I believe that that's true for us. Um, so, uh, this is the kingdom life in some ways. Uh, and it's not the easiest path. Jesus said, like, there's a really, really wide road that lots of people take, but there's a narrow one that I'm inviting you to take. And so, um, I hope that you leave today encouraged uh, that the Spirit of God is leading us, that Jesus goes before us and with us, and um, that it really does, this path that he's inviting us to, it, it's the path to life. So, go knowing that the Lord blesses you and keeps you. The Lord lifts up his face to shine upon you and is gracious unto you. The Lord's countenance is lifted up to you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The church said together, amen. Go in peace, my friends. Serve the Lord. See you next week. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community or on Twitter at Awaken Community. See you next time.